0: Thank you very much. That's my secretary. Uh, We are in the gospel of John chapter 5. We left off right around verse 24. I want to give you just a little back story here. John skips a good amount of Jesus's time ministering on the earth. We have fast-forwarded, even though we're in chapter 5, to about the halfway point, maybe a little beyond it, of his time of ministry on the earth. There was just an unusual story of healing in chapter 5. You may recall it. um, A man that's been paralyzed 38 years um, is sitting at a pool where there's a superstition that when an angel, so to speak, stirs up the waters, the first one in gets healed. That's the superstition. Probably not true. And Jesus says to the man in verse 6, do you want to get well? And he says, I got nobody to put me into the pool. And uh, in verse eight, Jesus just speaks and says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And he does, heals him. But the reason it's an unusual miracle is that the guy, it appears from all appearances in the story and everybody I could read commentaries wise, scholars wise, it appears that the guy got healed completely and never believed in the Lord Jesus. Wasn't even that curious about him. Later in the day, Jesus goes and finds him and says, uh, Don't sin anymore. Uh, Verse 14 See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. We said most sickness is not the result of the sin of the sick or injured person, but sometimes it is. It appears it was in this case. Um, So the Jewish leaders are um indifferent about the healing they don't really care there's no praising of god that a man paralyzed 38 years is healed they certainly couldn't heal the man instead they're angry because he healed on the sabbath and he told the man to get up and carry his mat not really a bed it's like a roll-up mat kind of a thing they considered that work we talked about the sabbath laws last week uh if you missed that you can Go on uh, the Oakhurst Evangelical Free website and get the uh, listen to the audio. So, um, verse sixteen. I'm still in chapter five. Because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to believe in him. Nope, began to persecute him. Uh, Jesus starts to speak in his defense. This is a long discussion between Jesus and his accusers, these religious leaders, these Jewish religious leaders. Uh, So Jesus says in verse 17, my father is always at work to this very day, at his work to this very day, and I too am working. In other words, he's saying God works even on the Sabbath, so do I. I claim the same exemption that my father has. Verse 18, for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. We've said as we studied John each week that the overarching principle John wants to get across is that the key question is who is Jesus? Who is he? That's everything. I believe in Jesus. Well, who is he to you? I just think he's a was a great man that lived a long time ago. Was he God? No. Die on the cross? No rise from the dead. No, you got a different Jesus. Paul talks about that in one of the Corinthian books. Verse 19, Jesus starts his defense. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son, he's talking about himself, can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. So he's not independent of the father. He is absolutely 100% in sync with the father, equal in nature, equal in purpose, equal in holiness, power, all of those things. He's representing God on the earth. He only does what God does. But the shocking thing in that verse is that he does whatever the father does. Everything God does, I do. That's what he's saying, which would make them even more angry, right? You're claiming to be God here. What does God do We'll get to in more to this a little later tonight, but God created the universe. But John one, Colossians one, um, Philippians, I think two, says Jesus created everything that is. Um, even the Old Testament says that the Son created everything, s o n. So he does everything the Father does. He also forgives sin, gives life. We could go on and on. Let's keep rolling. For the father, verse 20, loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will even show him greater things than these. For just as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Christ can give life. That's what he's saying. Technically, he means life in terms of being born again, eternal life for those who believe. But there's a sense in which the healing we just witnessed of the man at the pool, he was given life. You say, well, he was already alive. Yes, I know. But his limbs weren't. 38 years, right? No rehab, no no walker or crutches. Rise and walk. And he gets up and walks. He gave instantly created new tendons, muscles, ligaments, bones. I don't know all the physiology. My wife is good at that stuff. Anyway, he gave that man life in his body. Pretty amazing. Um, The more miracles he does, the less they believe these guys because their hearts are hard. He's pleased to give life to whomever he wants basically is what that says. Verse 22, moreover, the father, he's talking about God, the father judges, no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son. Every human being is going to appear before not God, the father or God, the father only, but he's going to appear before Jesus Christ and be judged according to one thing we'll talk about shortly so that, verse 23, all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. The same way people honor God, he's saying they're supposed to honor the Son. Um, he who does not honor the Son, I'm at the end of verse 23, does not honor the Father who sent him. So, uh, in my notes, I have a somewhere, uh, well, I can do it from memory probably, Um a list of, maybe it's further on, but anyway, there are a lot of religions that say we worship God, who don't believe in Jesus Christ, his son. According to this verse, if you don't honor the son, you are not honoring the father. Who are you talking about, Joe? Number one, and I have nothing against Jewish people or Israel. I I, I support Israel, but the Jews believe in God the Father, and not Jesus Christ. Soon a day will come when they will. Already there are Messianic Jews, a lot of Jews, I know some of them, that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, praise God. But as it stands now, Judaism accepts the Father and not the Son, who reveals the Father. Jesus is making that connection. To honor the Father, you have to honor the Son. Jehovah's Witnesses do not honor the Son neither do the Mormons. You say, no, they preach Jesus, but it's a different Jesus. Um, The Jesus of Jehovah's Witnesses is the Archangel Michael, you might not know. He is the first creation of Jehovah God. He's not eternal, and he is not God. This is where it gets a little confusing. If you talk to him about it, um, all the passages that say he is God, they say, well, he's a God, small G. So I say, is Jehovah the Father? Is He God? Yes. So isn't that two gods, separate? No, small G. I don't know what that means. Um, Unitarian. Oh, there it is. Yeah, Unitarians don't believe uh, in the Jesus of the Bible. Um, let's see. Actions that are credited only to God in the Bible, Jesus does. He pretty much checks off every box. By the time you're done reading the Bible, God is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He's the one that forgives sins. He's eternal. He's all knowing. He's everywhere present. He has all power. He gives life. That's all God, the father. It's also Jesus. Everything that's said about God, the father, pretty much is said about Jesus one place or another. Now, what you're reading here is shocking, To these Jewish leaders infuriatingly. He's making them angry. Okay. They think he's blaspheming. The point is, it's one thing to say, I'm God, right? Anybody could say that. And most people would laugh and go, Yeah, right. But it's another thing to prove it, right? And he pretty much does everything that that proves it now the miracles in and of themselves don't prove it he's about to list proofs as if he's in a courtroom if you will um let's see let's move to verse 24 um so that i know you're awake say amen Amen. good one and you guys on zoom say amen even though i can't hear you or wave or something beautiful good job i see you jeff oklahoma welcome anyway um Verse 24, I tell you the truth. That's verily, verily I say unto you. If you have King James, I've told you that before. Whenever you see that phrase, I tell you the truth. It means listen up. This is really important. The the parallel phrase in the book of Revelation is he that has an ear to hear, let him hear. means it's important. So let's listen up. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. We could spend a month on this verse. Don't worry. We won't, but we could. Okay. What is, what's the criteria for people to cross over from death to life? Okay. I want you to check these off. If it's true about you, number one, um, whoever hears my word. Okay. Okay. What does that mean? You have to have lived when Jesus lived and heard him speak. No, that's not what it means. It means hears his word, not just with the ears, but hears it, understands it, and believes it. Right? Did the Pharisees hear Jesus talking? Yes. They heard his word. No, they didn't. This is effectual hearing, not just physical hearing. They heard the words, and they went right over their heads, and they didn't believe it, did they? So number one is to hear his word. You say, well, I've never heard him speak. Do you own a Bible? That's his word, God's word. Jesus is the living word of God. We call the Bible the word of God. He's the living word of God personified. So when he speaks or when his apostles speak, Paul, Peter, John, James, etc James wasn't an apostle. He was a half brother. My point is the Bible is God's word. You have to hear it and believe it. So the first criteria is whoever hears my word and then believes him who sent me. That means, um, remember K-A-T, the wrong way to spell cat? The three elements of belief, K, knowledge, hearing the word. You got to know a little bit about Jesus, right? What he did, died on the cross for our sins in my place, rose from the dead. will come again to judge the world. A, agreement. You have to agree that it's true. The K and the A, demons can check those off. The book of James says the demons believe and shudder. They know he's the son of God. They know he rose from the dead. They know he's coming again to judge them and all unbelievers. K, knowledge. A, agreement. T, trust. They don't do that, demons. Unbelievers don't do that. Trusting only in who he is and what he's done your salvation not who he is and what he's done plus my good works or my previous good record or that my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds or i was raised in a christian home i go to church and all that stuff is great but it all comes down to are you trusting in him and him only so whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me he's talking about god the father isn't he now here's where it gets funny. Notice the tense of the verbs, hears, present tense, believes, present tense. There's the shocker, and believes him who sent me, has, not will have. How many of you know who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? It wouldn't be correct to say someday you'll have eternal life. I mean, you will, but the truth is you have right now eternal life, and so do I. Based on this verse and many others, whoever hears my word, yes, I, I hear, I've heard his word, believes him who sent me, I believe it. Don't you? Check it off in your mind. This verse says you have eternal life right now. And what else does it say? Will not be condemned. Yes, but I I've sinned a lot. Join the club, right? All your sins were paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. Every single one, past, present, future. So that when you come into God's presence to be judged by Jesus Christ, He says, All the sins here are paid for on the cross. Unbelievers pay for their own sins separated from God from, for all time. Whoever hears my word, believes Him who sent me, has eternal life right now, which means your baseball game score. Is going to be great at the end. Might be horrible now. The end is absolutely glorious for you. Has eternal life, will not be condemned, not judged for sin. He or she, listen, has crossed over from death to life. He's talking, that's another present tense. That means you have already crossed over from death to life. You say, this is where it gets hard for me. Why is that? Because I still look the same. I still feel the same. I still get aches and pains. I stubbed my toe this morning. I get it. I'm still angry at things, sad about things. However, your future is absolutely for sure. You've crossed over from death to life. All we're waiting for is either the second coming of Jesus Christ, or if we don't live that long, our own death. The moment a believer dies, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Awesome. So he's crossed over from death to life, hearing the word, believing him who sent me. Now, here's the thing. What if I said to you, "Okay, I've been reading the Bible. I I have heard the word. Yes, I do believe him who sent me. And you say, well, how are you doing in your life? I know, Joe, that you had a problem with these things, these sinful areas. And I say, I'm still doing them. There's nothing different. But I believe now. So the question is, what does it mean to believe? And the answer is that he who believes has a changed life. Not sinless, but you can't show me somebody that believed five years ago and they're still living the same life they were living back then. With birth comes growth, right? I'm holding a little baby in my arms and Chris says, how old is the baby? And I say, he's 11 years old. Wouldn't you say? Wow, something's wrong there. No no birth, still bottle milk and diapers, And right? With birth comes growth. Some of us are still baby Christians who need to be fed with the milk to get the food. Don't get me started. In any case, the proof that one believes is that they are doing good deeds. Oh, doing good deeds to earn salvation. Wrong. My granddaughter loves it when I say, to earn salvation, Eh, wrong. She thinks that's hilarious. Anyway, right, Bella? Anyway, um, she's on Zoom right now. Um, Let's see. The good works are the proof, the evidence that we believe. Well, why do you do good works? Aren't you trying to earn your way to heaven? No, I've already crossed over. I already have eternal life. Then why bother teaching a Bible study or doing stuff at the church or whatever you do? Because I'm so grateful. I want to do everything I can. I'm not trying to earn salvation. I already have it, but I'm so grateful our works confirm that he has changed us. Verse 25, I tell you the truth. Look at that. There it is again. A time is coming and now has come. We got to talk about this. I'll I'll just tease my way into this by saying there are three resurrections talked about here. Most people see two, there's really three, watch. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. That is not the future resurrection. The future resurrection is further on in this test, in this passage. Okay, well, what's going on here? How do you know it's not the future resurrection? Because it says a time is coming and now has come. When he's saying this 2,000 years ago, he's saying this has already started. Okay, well, what is going on here then? It's a time when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, the most powerful voice in the world, and those who hear it will live. He's saying that's happening now, 2,000 years ago what are you talking about? I'm not talking about physical resurrection. There's two more resurrections that are physical that are going to come up in this passage. What I'm talking about is a spiritual resurrection, spirit resurrection. Ephesians 2 says we unbelievers, when we were unbelievers, were, fill in the blank, sick or dead in our trespasses and sins. Anybody know? Dead. Dead spiritually dead not sick not injured not somehow diminished dead when a person hears my word jesus's word and believes him who sent him he has eternal life he has come to life spiritually he may look the same physically or she may but she he or she has come to life spiritually there's been a coming of life a resurrection of sorts um that's why it's has now come you say well when when he's saying this who has that happened to the apostles already believe right still ahead for them is the filling of the holy spirit the day of pentecost all that stuff and the church and all that do they fully understand he's going to rise from the dead and die on the cross no but they're already what he told nicodemus born again right They've come to life spiritually. The time when the dead will hear the voice. Picture Jesus on a mountainside speaking to 20,000 people. And they're all listening and they all look like human beings, but they're all dead spiritually. And as they're hearing, imagine if you could see a little light bulb go off over certain people's heads. Not that they're just, not just understanding, they're coming to life spiritually. There are others like the Pharisees, no light bulb. They're hearing it, they're just we hate this guy, right? Not coming to life. A time is coming and as now has come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live spiritually. For as the Father verse 26 has given has life, sorry in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life, In himself okay what's going on here everybody in this room it appears is alive right and those of you on zoom i can see the little little uh pictures there little screens you're all alive it appears i hope you are but none of you including me have life in yourself inherently what do you mean all of us have life we're alive physically and it's derived what do you mean I got my life from my parents, right? Sam and Mary and my parents. Without them, there would be no me. Same for you, right? I also don't have life in myself in that I do need food and water and clothing. Optional, I guess, right? But it's a good thing we have it, right? And air to breathe and God has life in himself. He's not dependent on anybody else. He doesn't need to recharge or plug in every now and then. In fact, the whole universe plugs into him. And we're talking not just about God the Father, we're talking about Jesus Christ as well. He's self-existence, self-existent. Sorry. In Exodus 3, Moses meets God the Father at the burning bush. Do you remember the story? God says, I want you to lead my people. And Moses says, who are you? Who am I going to tell the people that you are? And God says, I'll tell you my name. I am that I am. You shall tell them I am sent you. Not I was, not I will be, I am. Self-existence. God existed for all eternity past. So did Jesus Christ. He has life in him. By the way, if he has life in him, then he can give life right? You can't give what you don't have. If you have the ability to play the piano, you could teach someone to play the piano. If you know nothing about piano, you can't give it because you don't know it. He has it, the life he's able to give it. Um, he has no end, no need, total independence, uh, just like the father. I'm just reading my notes here. Um he, uh, Jesus Christ is claiming to be the same as God the Father. Don't miss it. It's, it's a pretty amazing um, thing. Go back to verse 26. Comparing himself again to God the Father. He has life in himself. So do I. He's granted the Son to have life in himself. And verse 27, he has given him, talking about himself in the third person, God has given Jesus, he's the him, authority to judge because he's the son of man. Judge what? Everything. All human beings. We're about to see every human being that has ever lived on planet earth is going to get judged by this one person, Jesus Christ. So the Father uh, has given Jesus the authority to judge. Here's the weird thing because he's the son of man. In the Greek, it reads, because he is, no, the. Son of Man. What's the difference? The Son of Man is a title that goes all the way back to Daniel. Remember, we studied Daniel maybe six, eight weeks ago we finished it. In Daniel chapter 7, right around verse 13, there's the scripture that calls the Messiah the Son of Man, which stresses although he's the anointed one, that's what Messiah means, anointed by God to save the world as the Savior uh, as the sacrifice, he is also the Son of Man. Meaning what? He's a human being, fully God, anointed one, Messiah, fully man. Two natures. Here, it's not the Son of Man; it's just Son of Man. May I read it like this? Um, he's given him authority to judge because he is human, fully human. You say, "What? Why does that matter?" Couldn't God judge everyone? Of course, God the Father could judge everyone. He has every right to, right? We're his. However, God thought it was more appropriate and more fair that the judge of every human being, listen, ought to be a human being. The problem with that is we're all faulty, right? We wouldn't judge fairly. We'd have preference for people that we know, and I don't like those people. I'll judge them more harshly. We wouldn't be totally fair. Plus, we're sinful. We're selfish. We're just impartial, not impartial. Jesus Christ is fully God, but he's fully man, and he's the only perfect man who never sinned. Yet Hebrews says he was tempted in everything, same as we are, yet he never sinned. Therefore, as God and as the perfect man, that's why he can judge, because he is son of man. He is, in Romans, the second Adam. Remember Adam in the Garden of Eden? Representative for the human race. As Adam goes, so all of us go. Oh no, he sinned. So did Eve. That's why there's sickness, disease, injuries, death, crime. That's why you have to lock your doors. Had they not sinned, we'd live in a perfect world. Don't you want to yell at Adam when you get to heaven? No, don't do it. You know why? Because if you were there with Eve or you were there with Adam, ladies, you would have done the same thing. I have a feeling. Or so would I. He can judge because he's the son of man, the perfect man. Don't be amazed at this, verse 28. For a time is coming. Now, this is future. It doesn't say and now is. Here's judgment number two. Um, I'm sorry, resurrection number two. A time is coming, verse 28, when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who've done good will rise to life, and those who've done evil will rise to be condemned. That's resurrection number two and three. Why are you making two separate resurrections? Because they don't happen at the same time. I'll show you that in a second. Look at the verse again. He says, don't be amazed at this because they must have been already. You're going to judge everyone, right? Now he makes it really personal. Verse 28, a time is coming in the future. The time, I'll just tell you right now, is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are those whose end times theology is different who would say, no, it's not the second coming. It's the rapture. How many have heard the term rapture? Okay. Some of you know, I don't want to get on a big side thing here, but um, a lot of Christians believe that the rapture occurs just before a seven-year tribulation, a time of great trouble and strife and judgment on planet earth. Then seven years later, second coming of the Lord Jesus. I believe as uh, as did every single scholar 1800 years of the Christian religion. In the 1800s, this idea of a pre tribulation rapture occurred. I believe the second coming is the rapture. What's the rapture? When God calls the names of all who believe and they come out of the graves. You mean physically? I mean physically. We have to pause here and talk about this. It's pretty amazing. A time is coming, listen, when all who are in the graves will hear. His voice, all of them. What do you mean, all? I mean, everybody. Uh, how do you know it's everybody? Because of verse 29 those who've done good will rise to live, those who've done evil will rise to be condemned. That's everybody, right? All human beings that have ever lived. Marilyn Monroe is going to come out of the grave. Genghis Khan, Julius Caesar, John Lennon, uh, Adolf Hitler, Saddam Hussein every single, the apostle Peter, Abraham, Moses, every single human being is going to come out of the graves. Mind-blowing. All by the voice of this one individual, Jesus Christ. Stay with me. There's a lot here. Um, So all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Do you remember when he raises Lazarus, Jesus does from the dead? Dead four days, they roll away the stone, and what does he do? Jesus says, Do you remember Lazarus? Come forth. Remember, it's always with the British accent in all those movies, right? Lazarus, come forth. You know, why is he English? I don't know. Anyway, and what happens? Lazarus comes out of the grave. A lot of scholars have said, If he didn't say Lazarus, come out of the grave, and just said, Come forth the whole cemeteries everywhere would just be like, oh no, the night of the living dead, here comes all these bodies, right? He's saying that in an instant, first, the believers, in an instant when Christ returns, he will call the names of every single person that has ever lived and they'll come out of the graves. How you say that some people have been dead 500 years, 2,000 years, even 50 years, There's probably not much left in there. He will recreate the physical bodies, listen, of every human being that's ever lived like that. Can he do that? He's God. That's what he's claiming here. You can see why the Pharisees are steam is coming out of their mouths, uh, out of their ears. Well, mouth too. Okay. Um, He's got the authority to judge and it's going to be his voice. When all that are in the graves are going to hear him, verse 29, and come out. Now, here's the two categories. Those who've done good will rise to live. Who's that? All Christians. All real Christians, not people that said they were Christian, but didn't really believe. All Christians from all eras, going all the way back to when he's saying this. And who else? All believers before Jesus came, came on the scene. All believing Jews that looked forward to the coming of the Messiah and were sincere about their faith, not going through the motions of all the stuff and being hypocrites like many of the Jews were when he's around, all believers either look forward to the coming of Messiah or look back as we do in history, all of them at once come out of the graves. If I'm alive when this happens, I hope I'm at a cemetery. Don't you want to? I just would be mind-blowing. To see some graves are going to stay still, right? Because that person didn't believe. But everywhere, all over the world, what about people that died in the ocean, Joe, and drowned or were eaten by a fish or burned in a fire? You think God can't recreate the molecules and doesn't remember the exact blueprint for each human being? Of course, right? Every single human being. Okay, so let's deal with the first group. These are Christians. They believed what happens when a person dies. I think it's important to go through this again. I know some of you heard me say it 30 times say amen. So I know you're still awake. Listen, we are a three, just like God's a three. We're a three. We're not gods. I don't mean that, but every human being is a body, a soul, and a spirit. You know what a body is. The soul is the mind will emotion okay? Not your brain, that's the physical organ where it dwells, sort of. It's the real you. The body is the hardware. Those of you that are computer nerds like me, the soul is the software. So is the spirit. What's the difference between soul and spirit? They're both immaterial. The body you can, this is my body. Spirit and soul are here, but you can't see them, really. The spirit is the part of you, the spiritual part of you that can communicate with God. It's the God radio, if you will. Now you're tuned in. And when you hear the Bible, you read the Bible, it makes sense to you now because you're spiritually alive. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. When a person dies, if they're a Christian, they keel over and die. They try to revive him. He's gone. I'm sorry. What happens? Well, the body's laying there. They're going to come and bury it or cremate it or whatever. The second that believer died, soul and spirit went instantly absent from the body present with the Lord instantly out of this physical realm into wow right I think is all you can say and bow down to God instantly all believers so that's the end no because now we got a separation body a soul spirit in heaven body in the grave so we don't need the body In Christianity and Judaism, the body is very important. In Hinduism, the body is evil. We can't wait to get rid of this body forever because the spirit's good, the body's evil. That's what they believe. Wrong. God resurrects the body of all believers. Unfortunately, all the unbelievers too. We haven't gotten there yet. When Christ returns, In uh, 1 Thessalonians, he says Christ brings with him everybody that's up there. My parents have both passed away. They're up there in soul and spirit. I know where their graves are. It's in San Jose. The day will come when Christ returns that my parents are going to come with him in soul and spirit and along with everybody that's ever lived that believed. And the graves, out of the graves will come their bodies, new Unable to get sick, unable to die, unable to have any kind of ailment, resurrected bodies, glorified bodies, and will reunite like a hand in a glove with their soul and spirit. You with me so far? Some of you look like our dog. If you make a weird noise, anything like that, he'll go. Some of you were doing that just now. So I know I'm getting through. Anyway, um. At that second, those people will be resurrected with the Lord Jesus Christ, come meet him in the clouds, come right back down to the earth where we will reign with the Lord Jesus. This is really, really good news. Um, would you like to see a really weird passage just to keep you awake? Turn to Matthew 27. This is a, one of the weirdest passages in the New Testament. And being a weird guy, I want to share it with you. Matthew 27. Jesus is on the cross. And let's see, what verse do we want, Joe? Verse, believe it or not, 52. Well, let's go to verse 50. It's the very end of the crucifixion, Matthew 27. That's two books, three books to the left from John. Matthew 27, verse 50. When Jesus has cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. He died. See, the spirit went to went out of the body. The body was still there on the cross, dead. You with me? This is the second Jesus dies. Watch. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. We've talked about that before. I won't bother you with that. Now the earth shook and the rocks split. Earthquake. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus's resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. That's pretty weird. Now, that could be people that died five years ago, and and somebody would say, there's my mom again. Or it could be somebody that died 800 years before this. That was a sort of a preview of coming attractions, if you will, because that's going to happen en masse all over the planet, everyone that has ever died is going to come to life. We've just come through the first group, which is believers. However, we got to get into the second group now. Verse 29, I'm still there. Those who have done good will rise to live. And by the way, we're still going to cover the other question, which is, you have a question? Okay, one second. Those who have done good will rise to live. That sounds like, doesn't it? good works is what how you get to heaven you earn it you deserve it we'll have to come back and talk about that in a second but let me finish the second group and then we'll take Ken's question and they're going to come out of the graves those who have he's going to recreate all those bodies those who have done good will rise to live that's the believers and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned you said earlier joe that that doesn't happen at the same time doesn't happen at the second coming Correct. It doesn't. Now turn to Revelation chapter 20. Last book of the Bible. Easy to find, even for a guy like me. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20 is after the seven-year tribulation, after the Antichrist, after the second coming. Revelation chapter 20, and I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, who's that? That ancient serpent, who's that? Who is the devil or Satan? And bound him for how long? A thousand years, that's the millennium. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years. There's people that don't believe there's a millennium. Thousand years, thousand years. That's twice so far in two verses until the thousand years were ended. After that, what's the, that the thousand years were ended. He must be set free for a short time. Get to the point, Joe. Okay. I saw thrones on which were seated. Those who had been given authority to judge believers, judge along with Christ. That's what it's talking about. And I saw the souls of them who had been behead those. Of those who had been beheaded for their testimony because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. These are believers, but from a specific era. Watch. They had not worshiped the beast or his image. That's Revelation 13. That's the Antichrist. So this is after the tribulation. They hadn't worshiped the the beast, Antichrist, or his image, hadn't received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. Remember the 666 thing? This is after all of that. They came to life, believers, and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Look at verse 5. The rest of the dead, but wait, that was the believers. Who's the rest of the dead? All unbelievers. Verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the, there it is again, thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Which one do you want to be in? Which resurrection? Verse six, blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection, the one all the believers go up, right? Rise. The second death has no power over them. They will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for, you guessed it, a thousand years. It sounds like it's a thousand years to me. Um, Go back to uh, the gospel of John with me, if you will. Um, let's see is it time to take a break no not quite are you still awake say amen Amen. oh that was a good one Um, verse 29 so they're going to come out of the graves they're going to hear it's all according to his voice people that did evil that didn't believe think i don't care i died my life's over they're going to get a wake-up call right each person jeremy harriet bill and they're going to go Oh no, I'm awake, and they're going to come out of their graves to be judged. You're going to come out of the grave to praise God and live with them forever. Verse 30, by myself. Oh, you know what? You know, we still have to do uh, the rest of verse 29. What about this? It sounds to me like the criteria is if you've done good, you rise to live. You see that in verse 29? So it's all about what you did, is it? I thought it was all grace, a gift from God. And it is. So we need to take that apart. Why is that in there? Here's why. Because I can say I believe, and he can say, and he can say, and she can say they believe. The works prove the faith. They are the tangible evidence. Okay, but here comes the question. God enables you to do good works, Joe. Yes, that's correct. But surely before you were a believer, you must have done something good. What do you think? Now keep your finger in John and go to Romans chapter 3. I'm going to show you that unbelievers, when you were an unbeliever, you could not do a single good thing. Not even one. Watch. Uh, Romans chapter 3, that's two books to the right, by the way, John, Acts, Romans. Romans 3, verse 10. As it is written, there's a few people that are righteous on the earth. Is that what it says? It says there's no one righteous. Righteous means that lived a perfect life. No, not even one. There's no one who understands. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've all together become worthless. Why? Because they're dead spiritually. He's talking about unsaved humanity. Watch this. There is no one who does good, not even one. Okay, so I know what you're thinking. I can read your thoughts. Yes, but there's people that are firemen that save children from burning buildings, and they're not believers. That's a good thing. It is. It is. There's people that find a wallet on the ground with $800 in it and they think about keeping it, but they go back into Vons or Raley's or Safeway and they go, I found this wallet and it um, says Joe Chirino on it here. Yeah, like my wallet would have that kind of money. Anyway, um, those are good things, aren't they? Are they? Externally, they are. But do you know what the Bible says about judgment? God looks on the heart. What do you mean by heart? You mean the blood pumping thing in your chest? No, I mean the motive, the reason people do good things. And some people do good things to be their own savior, to pay for all the bad things they've done. I'm going to return this wallet because I've lived a bad life and. Some people do good things so they can tell everybody. Do you know how honest I am? I was at Rayleigh's yesterday. 800 bucks in this wallet. Credit cards. I turned it in. I'm an honest. I'm an honest person. Why do we do them? Okay, Joe, but there's people that do it anonymously. They don't want any glory for it at all. Okay. Does God get the glory for what they did? no in God's eyes, if God doesn't get the glory, since he's the one that makes us do good, who puts that seed inside of us, if he doesn't get the good, the glory, sorry, then there it is not really a good deed. A good deed is something done for the glory of God which has listen eternal consequences and returning a wallet as great as that is and if you find mine, please do return it. Uh, it's still, not good. i read you Romans 3. No one does good. Not even one. It goes on. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. All, all men. There's no fear of God before their eyes, it says in verse 18. All right, we're going to take our two-minute break, and we'll cover this detail in detail a little more just to stretch our aging bodies. Don't go far. Two minutes is quick. I'll see you in two minutes. I'm going to turn my screen off. I'll be right back. Thank you. That's my secretary. Welcome back to the Tuesday night Bible study part two. Um, Let's see. So works are the evidence or the proof of faith. Now, we won't do it now, but in John chapter 15, Jesus says that he's the vine. I did it. Thank you. And we are the branches. Okay. And in that passage, he says an amazing thing, which is Jesus says to believers apart from me you can do who said nothing very good apart from me I I would think he would say you can do very little without me he says apart from me you can do nothing and that's true of any eternal consequence of any real good of any glory to god joe in his unsaved state if he does any good Before he was a Christian, it was all for my glory. Christians do good, and they give God the glory. When Christians do good, and they get the glory themselves, that gets burned up in the judgment time for Christians, which is just our works being judged, not for salvation. Okay, so the good works are not what save us. They are um the evidence now turn to ephesians so from romans or wherever you were in john go about eight books to the right galatians you'll see and then ephesians chapter two one of the most important verses in the new testament ephesians chapter two i'll give you a second to find it so from romans go to the right past the two corinthian books then galatians then ephesians two verse eight How do you, how does a person get saved? Verse eight, for it is by grace you've been saved. Let's stop right there. What's grace? Good things given freely that you didn't deserve and you can't earn. And they weren't even owed by God who gave them. It was all a free gift. What's the opposite of grace? Wages, right? I earned wages, I painted his garage, and he paid me. I earned the money, he owed it to me, he paid it to me. Wages, it wasn't grace, but if he found out I was in trouble financially and he just gave me some money, that's grace. I didn't earn it, I didn't deserve it. He just said, I know you're having trouble, here, I'm trying to help you out. How are we saved? Verse eight, it's by grace you've been saved. Okay, through what, good works? No, through what? Faith just believing. And this not from yourselves. In the Greek, the way that's constructed, the this not from yourselves refers back to the last noun, which is what? Faith. Watch. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this faith is not from yourselves. Even the faith is a what? Gift of God. But what about my works? Not by works, verse 9. You're not saved by works. Works being good things you do. By the way, works are negative and positive. Let me say this quickly. Positive good works. I go help someone out, okay, who needs help. I go visit someone in the hospital. I donate money to a good cause. I clean the church windows, whatever. Something good that you do, positive. Good works that are negative. I don't mean bad. I mean negative like this. I used to get drunk all the time. I don't get drunk anymore. It's something I don't do. That's bad. You got the negative end of it. Um, Okay. Verse nine, not by works so that no one can boast. Well, what about the works? Verse 10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in prepared in advance for us to do. So what are you saying the equation is? Remember math, two plus three equals five. had to figure it out. Let me get a calculator. Two plus three equals five. So is it, Joe, is it faith plus works equals salvation? No. Because then you're adding something to the faith. He just said it's faith, not works. So faith equals salvation how about that no because we need works in there it's verse 10 Hmm, faith equals salvation plus works if you have true faith you are you will be saved equals salvation and you will also produce good works your life will change you won't be doing those things you shouldn't be doing you won't be lying stealing whatever you used to do or you will be doing. Positive works for God's glory, not your own. Okay, go back to the text and back to John. How many are totally confused? Good, everybody? Perfect. (sighs) So there's going to be this ultimate resurrection. The first one is the spiritual one, which happens whenever anybody hears the gospel and they suddenly the light bulb goes on and they believe. They don't look any different. They didn't come out of a grave, they're still alive but they're alive now spiritually. It's in a sense, a resurrection, a giving of life. Number two, the good people, meaning the ones that are saved, they're no better than the sinners, right? The difference is they're forgiven. When they um, hear the voice of God after they're dead, they come to life, right? Resurrection number three, when people that were sinners hear the voice of God, it's, oh, no. Judgment time. I'm sure they're going to rise up and go, are you who I think you are? Yes. Right? Yikes. Don't want to be in that group. So Jesus, are you acting independently of everyone else out of God, the father? No. Verse 30, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. It's fair. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. That's verse 30. He's saying, I'm not rogue. I'm not going off by myself doing my own thing. And God, the father's going, oh no, what's he doing? He's saying, I'm judging only as I hear from God. My judgment's fair. I don't want to please myself. I only want to please him who sent me. So he's saying, in essence, I know you Jews who are monotheistic, mono means one, theistic means God, are having a problem now because I'm saying I'm God and I'm calling God my father. He's saying we are one in essence, three beings, but one God. is. What, in other words, he's saying I'm not a separate entity. I am one God revealed in three persons, or he, God is anyway. Um, verse 31 See, this is like a court of law. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. Or some translations have my testimony is not true. He's going to now start listing witnesses that explain who and what he is. This is a rare glimpse where we often in the Bible hear Peter or John or John the Baptist or somebody talk about who Jesus is, right? Now we're hearing it from the, and I mean no disrespect saying this, we're hearing it from the horse's mouth. We're hearing it from Jesus himself. Who are you, right? He's about to tell us. He already has told us he's going to be the judge of the earth. He's the son of the father who does exactly what the father does. Um, He's the one voice that people are going to hear and come out of graves. Now he's going to tell us more. Um, Deuteronomy 1915 is a famous verse, which basically says every matter in the Jewish world had to be settled by two or three witnesses. It was primarily the meaning of it was if there's a court case and I say, I saw him steal the sheep or whatever, and there's no other witness, the case gets thrown out of court that's to be at least two witnesses two or three it's interesting that in the bible every single major doctrine is not in one place it's in at least two or three usually 20 or 30 or 50 or 100 right um, so this is not only in a court of law he's saying uh, for anything you need more than one witness so he's calling witnesses Uh, basically. um, Let's see. Let me go back to verse 30. Um, Yeah. I don't please myself with the one who sent me. Yeah. 31. If I tested by a myself, my testimony is not valid. He doesn't mean it's not true. He means he understands that Deuteronomy verse that just somebody saying, I'm God, trust me on this, doesn't cut it in Judaism or Christianity. There has to be other testimony. Now he's going to start listing the witnesses who say, All of this is true. Watch. And there's a bunch. Um, Verse 32 there is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true, is valid. Okay. So who is he talking about there? He's about to cite two more witnesses, and I'll just tell you one is John the Baptist, one is God himself the father which one is he talking about so the scholars kind of go either way in context it sounds to me like he's talking about john the baptist why do you say that because the very next verse is you have sent to john and he's testified to the truth he's talking about john the baptist you remember that happened in chapter one of this book they sent a coalition to him the religious leaders who are you are you the Messiah? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the that special prophet Moses talked about? No. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, to prepare the way for the Lord. But what else did John say in chapter 1? Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, pointing to Jesus. He testified after that that it's in the notes that Jesus was the Messiah. Right? So he says, you sent to John, you, had, you thought he had some credibility, and he has testified to the truth. John testified Jesus is the guy, right? Now, in the book of Matthew, we learn that the Pharisees were afraid to talk against John the Baptist. And the reason is, that's given is, you, you remember one time Jesus asks, is asked a question by the religious leaders, and they say, by what authority do you do all these things, all these miracles? And he says, I'll tell you what, let me ask you a question. If you answer my question, I'll answer yours. And he says, who was John the Baptist? Was his ministry from God or from men? And it says in Matthew, they talked it over and they decided if we say it was from God, he's going to say them, why didn't you believe him? He testified about me. But if we say it was just of men, it wasn't really a God thing. The Pharisees were afraid of being stoned by the people because they considered John a prophet, capital P, right? Little dilemma. They won't answer his question. He doesn't answer theirs. The point is um, he knows that the people know John the Baptist was a real prophet of God. So he says, "I sent you sent to John. Verse 34, not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. He said, I don't need human testimony. Translation, I don't need human approval. I don't need human applause. Jesus lived his whole life for the applause of his father, period. If he pleased other people, great, but that wasn't his whole MO. Have you heard the story about the little girl that took violin lessons from a just an incredible musical genius. For years, she studied with him, and he was so harsh, and everything had to be perfect. She finally gets to Carnegie Hall and has a concert there, and the place is packed, sold out, and she comes out, and everybody, they applaud, and she does her concert, and at the end, everybody In the place rises to their feet, standing ovation, bravo. They're all cheering, except one person, her teacher. Because although they weren't as trained as he was, he heard every little "Eh," mistake. Oh, no, mistake. Don't ever go to a concert with my daughter, Allison. I love her to pieces. She has what's called perfect pitch. When she was a little girl, she could hear a horn honk of a car and she'd go it's a (laughs) b-flat what and then you get a guitar and you go oh it is yeah she hears every mistake so do i but not like she does okay my point is the little girl goes backstage and her parents are there and honey you did so well And there and she's crying are you crying tears of joy and she said no he didn't stand up who my teacher She lived her whole life to please this professor. Listen, don't live your whole life to please yourself, which is the American way. Don't live your whole life to please your kids or your parents or your boss or your military commanding officer. Live your whole life to please the maestro. Because you are the violin, not the violinist. He, when he plays you, that's when you do what you're supposed to do and what I'm supposed to do. Amen? And he is not that critical, by the way, right? What will he do? He also will stand and rise for some people and say what? Well done, good and faithful servant, right? That's what you want to hear. Okay, where were you going with that joke? I don't remember. Anyway, <laughs> um, back to the text. I got to really get a brain, don't I? How many know, do you know what this is? Mental floss. Okay. Um, Verse verse 35. Um, John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. He uses his words very carefully here. When Jesus says he's the light of the world, he uses a different word. He calls John a lamp. What's the difference? They both give light. Light is light in and of itself. A lamp is derived light. It has to be lit, it has to have a fuel source. Source, But when God said, let there be light, he made meant light as a thing, which is Christ in a sense, the light of the world, it's not derived. John simply reflected the light of God who filled him with his Holy Spirit. Um, John was a lamp that burned and gave light and you chose for a time to enjoy his light until John started saying to the Pharisees things like, you hypocrites, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Remember he says that to them? Verse 36, Jesus says, I have testimony weightier than that of John. What's testimony number one? John the Baptist. What's testimony number two? What I'm doing. That's what he says. Watch. I have testimony weightier than that of John for the very work that the father has given me to finish, which I am doing, testifies that the father has sent me. What do you mean by the work? He means I'm healing the sick. I'm raising the dead. I'm calming storms with my voice. I'm healing people long distance without even going to the house. I'm multiplying loaves and fishes. I'm walking on the water. I'm casting demons out with a word. Get lost and the demon's gone. He's saying, who else does this except God? All those things. He's saying, the works that I do are more evidence that I am who I say I am. The work that, notice that the Father has given me to finish. You see that word? What's What does he say on the cross at the very end before he dies? It is finished. He did everything you wanted me to do, Lord. And he uh, he gives up his spirit. Ken asked during the break, why doesn't it say his soul there? It's sort of implied. Sometimes in the Bible, there's the body and the soul spirit with a slash as if it's one thing. Other times it's soul and spirit and body, three things. The reason for that is the body is physical, corporeal, corporeal, if you want the fancy word, and non-corporeal, non-material is the spirit and the soul. Two-thirds of you isn't physical, if you will. Where were we, you ask? I'm not even sure. Um, Let's see. The very works that he does. And you ask, you think about all the things that he did. And you say, by the way, in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, he flies. My kids used to love this when they were little. He ascends to heaven and they watch him go up. He just goes up without an airplane or a hot air balloon or anything He ascends to heaven. What more would you want him to do to prove that he's God? Well, if he had done more miracles, Joe, I think more people would have believed in him. Eh, Wrong again. That was for you, Bella. Uh, Incorrect. The Pharisees saw how many miracles? What do they want? We want to see another sign from you. Do another little magic trick. Signs in and of themselves don't create faith. Verse 37. And the father who sent me, has himself testified. I call as my witness, God the Father. That's what he's saying. He's already testified about me. By the way, you Pharisees, he's saying, you've never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you don't believe the one he sent. Those are just one indictment after the other. So you say, well, wait a minute, verse 37. The Father God, the father has testified about Jesus. Where would that be? Number one, the baptism of the Lord Jesus, right? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. At the Mount of Transfiguration, I know it's only Peter, James, and John inside their crowd, but they heard him say a similar thing, didn't they? God, the father. Okay, is that it? No. Who wrote the Old Testament? Well, Isaiah wrote Isaiah, and Moses wrote the first five books, and Jeremiah wrote Jeremiah. And listen, God wrote every word. The whole Old Testament he's about to say is all about him. Um, But look at the indictments in verse 37 before we get to uh, 37 and 38. The Father who sent me has testified concerning me. The works come from the Father, in a sense. In a sense, John the Baptist's words came right from the Father's mouth. He had the Spirit, right? Even when he was in the womb, if you remember. You have never heard his voice. He's talking to the religious experts of Judaism. What an astounding thing. You've never heard his voice. Well, we've read the scriptures. What he's really saying is it all went over your head. You didn't get the point of any of all you've studied and read. The rabbis wrote about the fact that eternal life was in the, wait for it, scriptures, the Old Testament. You study it, you obey the law, and you get eternal life. Wrong. You've never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you don't believe the one he sent. What's ironic about that? Did you catch it? the whole sentence is ironic. Why? Look at it again. You have never heard his voice. Whose voice? God's. Who's speaking to them? Jesus, God in a man's body. This is the voice of God, he could say, right? You, you can't hear my voice. You can't hear my words. You don't believe. You've never seen his form, but he's standing right in front of him. His form, right? Nor does his word dwell in you. What does that mean? Abide in you, some translations have. What does it mean to have his word dwell in you? Memorize it. It's helpful. It means that when you read it and you hear it, it lives in you in a way that influences every decision, every action that you and I do, every choice we make in our lives, the word is living in us as opposed to just external knowledge. I read the book when I was a kid, To Kill a Mockingbird. Anybody ever read that book? It's now been banned because of critical race theory. Don't get me started on that. Anyway, um, it was actually a really good book, To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, Did you understand the book? Yes, Joe. Yes, I did. Did you read it? Yes. Does that word of that book abide in you? Not really. The Bible is a word that's it's a supernatural book. It abides in us, right? To the extent we submit to it. You've never heard his voice. You've never seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. You don't believe the one he sent. What's he's, What he's implying there is, if his word did dwell in you, if you had heard his voice in the Bible, if you had um, seen god's form understood who and what god is then you would automatically go well this is him jesus right you would see if you will excuse the weird pun the family resemblance you would know god so well from the old testament that when jesus showed up you'd go well wait this is the old testament this is the guy This is the same. He's the same way. He's compassionate. He's loving. He's all-powerful. He seems to have all knowledge. He has power over nature. Tells storms to shh, and the storm stops. They should have recognized the resemblance. He wasn't like any other human being, right? We're going to talk more about that in a second, too, if I can keep rolling. Verse 39. Some translations have diligently... diligently you study the scriptures as a command. The way it's worded in Greek, it's the way it is in NIV. And I think the other most of the other translations, which is a fact. You diligently study the scriptures, you Pharisees, you religious leaders, because you think that by them you possess eternal life. Remember I told you they believe the scriptures was the way they got eternal life. You diligently study. That in Greek means, that doesn't mean they, they read it. It means they memorized it, they dove into w- word by word, the meaning, that they were really into the scriptures. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are they, it this is literally how it reads, these are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Chuck Missler used to say, and there's other scholars that have said it, that if you know where to look everywhere on every page of the Old Testament, somewhere is Jesus Christ. So you you may ask, well, give me an example. Um, In the Old Testament, uh, or do we want to do the Moses thing? Let's see. No, we want to do this. In the Old Testament, the following things are said about this coming mysterious Messiah, dude. May I call him dude? Thank you. Figure, okay? Okay. The Messiah is supposed to be, and I want you to picture this being a puzzle. Uh, I gave a sermon at a couple of different churches years ago called, Who is the Messiah? Where I only use the Old Testament. And the graphic that I had on the screens that came down was a puzzle. And at first, there's just like three little pieces. And you go, what is that? And then eight pieces. And eventually you can see, oh, it's a picture of Christ, right? The Messiah is supposed to be, this is all Jewish scriptures born of a virgin, called Emmanuel, God with us, born in Bethlehem, a male son who will be called Mighty God. He's got to be a descendant of Abraham, a Jewish male. That narrows it down. He's got to be of the tribe of Judah, of the 12 tribes. Jesus was. Judah means praise, by the way. He's going to be taken to Egypt. He'll be a descendant of King David. Are you starting to narrow it down now? um it involves around his birth there's a killing of a bunch of babies and infants remember the herods killing this person would forgive sin perform miracles preach good news and if you get the notes you'll see all the scriptures that tie into it and then the fulfillment in the new testament he will preach in uh, minister in galilee he will cleanse the temple remember that a couple of chapters ago he would present himself as king riding on a donkey Into Jerusalem uh, 173,880 days after the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. Don't make me explain that one. It's in Daniel. We did that one. It took like half an hour. He would enter, we already did that one. He'll be rejected by the Jews. He'll be beaten. He'll be mocked. He'll be spit upon. He'll die a humiliating death. He'll be betrayed by a close friend who dips his bread with him for 30 pieces of silver. This is all old Testament written at least 400 years before Jesus was born. Some of it as much as a thousand years or more. He'll be betrayed by a close friend for 30 pieces of silver. The 30 pieces of silver will be thrown in the temple and used to buy a potter's field. He'll be silent before his accusers. He will be pierced in his hands and his feet as the, Little puzzle starting to come together for anybody here. Who in human history could this be? Hello. He'll be given gall and vinegar to drink. People will gamble for his garments. He'll be pierced in his side. He will pray for those who persecute him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Do you remember that? Now, you're a Jewish expert in the Old Testament. You know every one of these verses I'm reading right by the way where it says pierced in his hands and his feet is in two places two witnesses remember one of them is psalm 22 don't read it now but read it when you go home psalm 22 talks about being pierced in his hands and his feet being crucified what's the first verse of psalm 22 joe my god my god why have you forsaken me Hello? Sound like anybody in human history? He would be buried in a rich man's tomb. He would ascend into heaven. He would rise from the dead. Even though he was crucified and they always broke the bones of crucified men, none of his bones would be broken. These are the scriptures these religious experts had. Do you see why Jesus says to them, you've never heard his voice? You think you're reading this? You search the scriptures? And you don't know it's me. Put the pieces of the puzzle together, dude, is what he's saying. And no, the word "dude" does not appear in the text. Thank you, else. Thank you very much. Who else in human history fits those things? By the way, that's just a sampling. There's way, There's 330 of those in the Old Testament. Listen to Proverbs 30, verse 4, and we'll close. I'll just read it. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? who has gathered the wind in his fists. He's talking about God, the father, but watch. It ends with an amazing verse who has wrapped up the waters in a garment who has established all the ends of the earth. What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely, you know, does that blow anybody's mind besides me? Jews should have been reading that going, well, he's claiming to be the son of God. Put the pieces of the puzzle together. We're going to close in a second here, and we will. Um, I'll send the notes as usual. If you don't get the notes and you want to, just send me an email and say, I want the notes. That also will have the link to the recording of this, both video, which is not good to look at, and then audio uh, as well. Um, let's close with prayer, shall we? And then we'll get out of here. Let's pray. Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. It is an amazing thing. A deep ocean, God. A child can wade in and get the gospel, but we're trying to go scuba diving here. We can't even reach the bottom. It's There's so much here, Father. Help us to find more treasure and dive into those scriptures, but for all they're worth, God, and help us to see your son, the one we call Lord, Savior, is truly God and truly man and will judge the world. We're so thankful that we know him so that when we, if we die before he returns, when we hear his voice, it'll be the greatest sound we've ever imagined as we come back to life. Thank you that we've already crossed over from death to life, God. We already have, present tense, eternal life. Thank you for uh, your Holy Spirit that you've given us so we can understand all this. Thank you for the the, uh, the acceptance that you give us despite our past, God, but help us to read your word and to submit to you and do the good works that prove that we're saved, both not doing what we shouldn't and used to do, but also doing the good that you are leading us to do. Thank you for this time we could be in your word and hear Jesus tell us exactly who he is, Father. We love you. We can't wait to see you and the Lord Jesus face to face, but until then, use us for your glory. Thank you for each one here, God. May we each grow because of what we've heard tonight. We give you praise and worship in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray all these things. Amen. Thank you all for being here. Make sure you say hello to someone you don't know. Those of you on Zoom, you can't do that, but thank you all as well for being here. We'll see you next time. God bless you. Thanks for being here.